Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 34. Once you cruise with Royal Caribbean and discover that you like it, and probably like it a lot, then you'll likely want to sign up for Royal Caribbean's customer loyalty program, the Crown and Anchor Society. So what is this program all about? Why might you want to join? And what are the perks of it? All great questions, and on today's episode, we're going to try to answer them all. We also have your emails, voicemails, tweets, Facebook messages, and more to share, so stay tuned for that as well. Here we go. Royal Caribbean's Crown and Anchor Society is the customer loyalty program the cruise line offers to repeat cruisers. Joining is really simple and free. The only eligibility requirement is you have to have taken at least one Royal Caribbean cruise before. So after completing your first Royal Caribbean cruise, you can sign up either on board the ship itself, actually, during your first cruise, or you can actually sign up online at any time via the Royal Caribbean website. Anyone regardless of age can sign up, so if your family is cruising, every member of your family, including kids, can sign up in a cruise status in Crown and Anchor Society. For each night you cruise the Royal Caribbean, you will accrue one point. So on a seven-night cruise, you will accrue seven points. But if you stay in a suite category of the stateroom, you'll get double points, and this includes junior suites. So once again, taking our example, if you take a seven-night cruise and stay in a suite, you'll get 14 points in your Crown and Anchor Society. Just like most loyalty rewards programs, the more points you get, the better the benefits are. A quick note, everyone you live with gets your status automatically. As an example, I had actually taken a few Royal Caribbean cruises prior to meeting my wife. Once we started cruising together, she started receiving the same status as I do. My daughter is exactly the same way, so it's a great way to get everyone on board. There are six levels of status in Crown and Anchor Society. Each level has its own set of benefits, and as you move up, you keep the benefits from all previous levels. The levels are Gold, Platinum, Emerald, Diamond, Diamond Plus, and Pinnacle Club. There's a number of benefits to each level, although I find I take mostly advantage of a few perks per level, and I think most people are also the same. So let's start with Gold Level. Gold Level is basically the entry level to Crown and Anchor Society and gets you a coupon book, which entitles you to discounts on the ship. There actually isn't a book anymore. These coupons are now actually loaded on your CPAS card and you can use these discounts on board your cruise. Typical discounts in the coupon book, and I use that word loosely because, again, there is no book anymore, include discounts on merchandise, free beverages, discounts on spa treatments, and more. Usually, there's about a dozen or so offers, and you can get a full list of what offers you have on embarkation day in your stateroom. You can also keep track of which coupons you've used via the interactive TVs in your stateroom. Now, there is a coupon book for each level of Crown and Anchor, and the value of these benefits increases as you go higher. So, gold level, you're going to get whatever, maybe it's 10% off at the spa. Versus people in Platinum, Diamond, Pinnacle Club, they're going to get much more value out of that same coupon. The other nice benefit of being gold is on Embarkation Day, you get to board the ship before other non-Crown and Anchor members. You also get an invite to a welcome back party. Now, speaking of the welcome back parties, there are a number of welcome back parties for Crown and Anchor members depending on your Crown and Anchor level. If you're gold level, you'll go to one big party. If you're platinum, you'll go to that big party again that all the gold members went to and an additional party for platinum and above members. And the pattern continues up the crown and anchor ladder. These parties are basically Royal Caribbean pep rallies where the staff thanks you for cruising and talks about what upcoming Royal Caribbean cruises might interest you. The real benefit of these parties, as most people I think perceive them to be, is the free alcohol they serve. Champagne, some rum punches, maybe another drink or two are offered. So for a lot of people, it's an opportunity to get a few free drinks. The actual party themselves, again, sometimes it's the captain talking, sometimes it's the loyalty ambassador talking. They're fun. It's interesting. I don't usually get a huge amount of information out of it, but it's fun. It's great to meet other people also. That's really what I enjoy about it. You know, you get to sit down with a bunch of other people who are obviously Royal Caribbean fans, and you never know. You might meet someone that might become a friend. Let's get back to the statuses. 
Next, we have Platinum. And with Platinum, you get all the benefits of gold and a discount on balcony staterooms. You also get robes for use on board the ship and a snazzy lapel pin. <laughs> Next is Emerald, which is barely different than Platinum. With the sole difference, there's actually only one difference being that you get a welcome gift, including choice of beverage. So that's the only difference between Emerald and Platinum. Not a huge jump, but it's there nonetheless. If you ask me, the real benefits with Crown and Anchor Society start getting exciting when you get to Diamond Level and above. Diamond Level gets recognition, priority departure, access to the Diamond Lounge, dedicated area for breakfast each morning, tours, and more. Diamond Level gets you a lot more, and the Diamond Lounge alone is a wonderful perk because it's a private area and you can also get free alcohol. After Diamond, you have Diamond Plus, which gives you more concierge access, more tours, gifts, recognition, private seatings for shows, some more gifts, and other benefits as well. Lastly, there's Pinnacle Club, which gives you the most recognition of being an elite Crown and Anchor member. You also get a complimentary Royal Caribbean cruise when you hit Pinnacle Club at 700 and 1,050 cruise points in a balcony stateroom for a minimum seven-night sailing. A complimentary suite will be given to you when you hit 1,400 points and then every 350 points thereafter. Outside of what you get on board, Crown and Anchor Society also gives you benefits like first access to cruise itineraries, new ship bookings, and more. You also get what's known as Crown and Anchor Savings Certificates, and these are a great deal. These are basically coupons for upcoming Royal Caribbean cruises that you can take off of a certain amount of the total price of the cruise just for being a Crown and Anchor member. The specific discounts often include a lot of different cruises. An example, I actually looked up the last one, and I wanted to oh, we print it out. And it actually created a 16-page document out of it, so there's quite a bit. You can usually stack Crown and Anchor Savings Certificates with other discounts, like maybe that Platinum-level balcony discount I mentioned earlier. And you can really rack up the savings. There really is not a reason not to sign up because you can only benefit from being a member. Even if you neglected to sign up before and have taken a few Royal Caribbean cruises since, they can actually retroactively add your old cruises to make you a member with your current standing, including all those old cruises. The discounts, recognition, and out-of-board benefits really are nice perks and you only stand to benefit from the program. My favorite perks of Crown and Anchor are the priority check-in. I love being able to be among the first to get to the terminal anyway to start my cruise and Again, you get to be among the first to be let on the ship. That's always a cool feeling. The coupon book, which I know isn't a book anymore. It's paperless coupons is what I think what Royal Caribbean calls them. Anyway, every dollar I can save is totally worth it to me. So if I can get a free drink here or save some money on my wife's massage habit here, well, then I'm going to take it. And you know I'll probably use, I'd say, somewhere in the ballpark of four to five, maybe six coupons per trip. It's 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 free stuff or discounted stuff. Why not, right? And of course, the discounts, just like the coupon book, every dollar helps. And if I can save it 100 or $200 on my cruise with a Crown and Anchor Society discount, I will gladly take it. It helped me save a lot of money, actually, on a few recent cruises that I took. So it's paid for itself in many ways. So again, it's free and you really got nothing to, <laughs> to worry about in terms of it not being worth your time because you only stand to benefit from it. And oftentimes, Crown and Anchor members are certainly ahead of other people. And again, when new cruises come out, like Quantum of the Seas and Anthem of the Seas and that third Oasis class ship that's coming up, you know, Crown and Anchor members are going to be the first for Quantum. They already were for the others. You have the benefit of being able to get on those ships first in terms of booking them. And of course, we actually get to the ship physically getting on board. So it's neat. It's fun. And it's definitely worth your time. Speaking of need and fun, one of my favorite things, of course, of this podcast is to read your listener emails, Facebook messages, voicemails. In fact, we have a voicemail to start off this week's episode, and we're going to get started with a voicemail from Chandler. Chandler, take it away, my friend. Hi, Matt. Uh, I am enjoying your podcast. My name is Chandler. I'm a teenager, and I love cruising. 
I just watched your podcast on the freedom of the seas, and it is very enjoyable. But I have some questions about the main dining room and some of the food they serve. Because I was looking on some of the menus, and it just some of it looked good, some of it didn't look good. But I kind of would like an accurate menu choice. Can you please do a podcast about this? Thank you. Bye. Thank you for the voicemail channeler. Great job with it. You know, the food in the main dining room is one of my favorite things to do. I love eating in the main dining room. I think I've said that a couple times on this podcast, but I really do enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a great way of spending your time there, and I just love the experience of it. Now, the food in the main dining room, actually on Freedom of the Seas and all Royal Caribbean ships, has been standardized. There's a standard menu. It was updated about uh, two years ago or so. And it varies from night to night. Basically, there's a theme to every night via the menu, usually like a spice or an ingredient. And the menu sort of kind of follows that. And by sort of kind of, I mean, it's not like every single ingredient on there has it. It's just more of a style. Like, there's still like basically Italian night. It's not called Italian night. It's, I think, like pomodoro, which is the tomato that typically in Italian food. Uh, There's other spices that are used. Anyway, you kind of get the idea. The food, honestly, in the main dining room, I think ranges somewhere between good okay slash good to really good slash excellent i think it all depends food is a very subjective subject what i find really tasty chandler you might hate and vice versa it's just because that's how people are and people are weird and we like different things i really do feel though that you know some things that i might not like i find other things that i do like and again something i never really had any bad food like oh that's disgusting more like okay i don't really care for it maybe because i was trying something or it's just not my style but never again nothing really terrible just didn't love it so I moved on to something else. And that's the fun thing about it. I'm actually going to put a link in our show notes channel for you. We have a couple copies of menus that are available. There's a couple of main dining room ones, if I'm not mistaken, that you can take a look at and get an idea of what to expect. But remember, in the main dining room, you can order as many options as you want. So if there's something on there that you're kind of iffy about, you're not sure about, order it and then order something else. And then order something else. Or order something else. I have quite the reputation among my friends and family of being that guy who orders everything off the menu. In fact, usually once per cruise, someone dares me to do it. And of course, I have no choice because they double dog dare me to order everything off the menu. So it's fun. Why not taste a couple things and try some new things out? So thank you, Chandler. We have an email from Christopher Percy. Regarding episode 32, the most challenging aspect of cruise planning, since we have cruised a lot and been to most destinations that Royal Caribbean offers, our focus these days is on the ships and getting the best value out of our cruise dollars. There are many times we will never leave the ship on port days, enjoy having the freedom to roam on board and take advantage of any discounts like native spa services. We also seek out unique itineraries, which pop up every now and then, and many times these are great values. Being flexible and looking at the deals that pop up, especially last minute ones, are always a great to do too. If we have to fly to the embarkation port, we always check out Choice Air, since in many cases, especially international flights, they're very competitive. Also, if one has the time, doing a back-to-back can help reduce the travel expense getting to and from the ship. Actively researching ships and itineraries using websites like Cruise Critic is also very valuable and can provide tremendous insight and guidance in planning for the best cruise options. Thank you for the email, Christopher, as always. And you know, I agree with you about trying to find the best next cruise, be it deal-wise, be it itinerary-wise. I know that Christopher, it sounds like you're one of those guys who definitely likes to see what Royal Caribbean is coming up with next, where they're going to next, and what might be something new to try. So it's great. That's one of the great things that I love about Royal Caribbean. They're always trying new markets. And of course, as you know, they're expanding wildly in the whole Asia, Australia area, as well as also Europe. They're trying out some new ports there. So some good possibilities for you. Thank you for the email, Christopher. Now, you may remember in last week's episode, someone emailed me about the helipad access on Oasis of the Seas. And I was blown away by how many people who wrote to me and told me about the correct answer. So I'm going to go through a couple of these really quick here. We'll start with an email from Mark Schwartz, who was just actually off 
um, the Oasis class. And he says, in today's podcast, Voyager class, there was a question about access to the helipad on Oasis class ships. Since we were just on Oasis, I can confirm the public access is still restricted. We were invited to a champagne salary reception on the helipad the day we were in Labadee, so I had access for a brief period of time. This was a crown anchor event for platinum and above members. Ooh, there you go. Lines up perfectly with today's podcast episode. Anyway, sorry, back to the email. We moved up Emerald during the cruise. We were told by several crew members that access to the helipad on the Oasis and Alert is restricted for several reasons. One, there are forward-facing cabins on these ships where persons on the helipad could see into those cabins if the curtains were open. These cabin windows, especially on the helipad deck level, are close enough to walk up to and peer into. I believe that is different than Freedom and Voyager class, if my memory serves me correctly. Thus, there's a privacy concern. Number two, there are stairways on the helipad that go directly down to crew areas, so those are closed off for security reasons. And three, there are two large air vents, one on either side of the helipad itself, that can exhaust high-pressure air, which could be dangerous, thus safety. It's not clear if one of these above is more important than the other in terms of the primary reason for not allowing access for passengers, but these were the reasons given, albeit the first may be the most commonly stated. Mark, great answer. Thank you so much for that. And I did not know that, and I appreciate the feedback from everybody. A couple of other people also chimed in. Hunter Rain said, thanks for the great podcast and blog and for all the work that goes into them. I found your podcast and blog about two months ago and have quickly become an addict, which looks forward to my regular quote-unquote fixes. I was on Allura last September where I visited the helipad twice during our cruise. The first visit was during a sailaway party on the helipad leaving St. Martin, held for some guests that were staying in suites. We were a Crown Loft Suite guest and received an invitation to the party from our concierge. Hot bunch of drinks and champagne were served. Several officers were in attendance. Royal Caribbean went out of their way to make us feel special, and the views were fantastic leaving St. Martin. The second visit to the helipad was during the behind-the-scenes tour of the ship. Sadly, drinks were not served this time on the helipad, but as before, we were joined by several officers who shared their fascinating knowledge of the ship and what could be seen from the helipad on this particular sea day. Hope this information benefits a few listeners. I'll be on Liberty in just under two weeks, and your work both gets me through my snowy days between cruises and helps kindle my excitement for your upcoming voyages as my cruise countdown slowly ticks to zero. Thanks again. Hunter, thank you so much again for that information, and I'm sure people will find that helpful. It sounds like basically to get to the helipad, it's got to be during a special event. You can't just lounge up there like you can on, say, Voyager and Freedom class. So there you go. There's your answer right there. The Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast listeners to the rescue once more. Have an email from Bryce Griffler. Love the Mariner of the Seas. To date, she may be my favorite ship. Majesty was my first, so I love her. And Oasis is just completely on a different level of cruising. I have to imagine that entire Voyager class is similar to how amazing Mariner is. Bryce agreed on all points, sir. Well, Majesty wasn't my first, but the rest of it I agreed with. So agreed on most of the points of your email. <laughs> Thank you, Bryce. Appreciate it. Next is an email from David from Peoria, Arizona. I've only sailed Royal Caribbean once in 1992 on Viking Serenade. Wow. And obviously a lot of things have changed since then. I've also sailed Carnival once and Disney twice. I'd love to hear a show about the best way to go about researching and estimating a cruise. I've been to the Royal Caribbean website and the sheer number of ships and itineraries is daunting to say the least. Let's say I wanted to figure out whether to do Alaska, Mediterranean, or the Caribbean and wanted to compare basically the options. Any suggestions or expert tips on how to approach this? I'm really enjoying the blog and the podcast. I caught up on all the back episodes over a weekend while I repainted my bedroom. I must say it made the work so much easier. Thank you, David. I really appreciate the email. That's a great idea. In fact, I was going to answer a little bit of it here, but you know what? I'm saving it, David. We're going to do an episode just for you to talk about you know, kind of comparing cruises and how we go about it and what are the best ways of figuring out cost options and weighing them kind of, you know, how do you weigh apples to apples, right? It's a great question, David, and I am saving it. So thank you very much for the suggestion. 
We have an email from Brandon Tools, who actually did write about the Oasis helipad access. So thank you, Brendan. And Brandon writes, thanks for your podcast and spreading the Royal Caribbean love. Enjoy listening. But every time I do, it makes me yearn for another cruise, which brings me to my question. I know you recently sailed on Navigator this season out of Galveston, and it sounds as though you really enjoyed it. My first cruise was on Mariner this season, and that class of ship is responsible for my love of cruising. I know Navigator is sailing from Galveston through next spring, but do you have any information on the ship that will be replacing her? I saw a rumor that Liberty of the Seas would be taking over in 2015, and since I have not been on a Freedom-class ship, I'm inclined to wait so I can check that off my list. Well, Brandon, on my Navigator of the Seas cruise that you mentioned, the loyalty ambassador on the cruise told us at one of those Crown and Anchor events that I mentioned earlier on the show, see how this all ties in? It's, I would claim that I'm a genius and you know putting this all together, but honestly, this is totally coincidence. <laughs> anyway, during the event, the loyalty mem- manager told us that Liberty of the Seas would be, in fact, replacing Navigator of the Seas out of Galveston. Now, that information has not been quantified elsewhere. Like, we haven't actually seen it announced anywhere. So, take it with a grain of salt. But that's what was told to me. It was told at a major event by a fairly high-ranking member. I got to think they're... Usually, I know, sometimes you've got to take, you know, what crews say is kind of like with a grain of salt. I'm assuming it to be... I'm taking it to be fact. I mean, the reality is Royal Caribbean promised a uh, larger ship. And the only large, there's still two, well, really three classes of ships that are larger. Quantum, it's not going to Galveston, sorry. Oasis and Freedom. Now, Oasis, we know, is going to be kind of moving around here and there. It's possible, but I think Galveston is just too small of a market. Freedom is the next obvious choice, and they've got so many of these ships now, especially with Liberty and Freedom, going to be, they're going to need to make room for these ships because Oasis 3 is coming on board and Quantum, maybe Quantum 3 is coming to Florida. We already know the Anthem of the Seas is coming to Florida in the summer, so they got to make room, basically. Galveston's the obvious choice, so that's why Liberty of the Seas would make sense, all things considered. So hopefully that helps you out there, Brandon. Hopefully we'll see that also announced sometime soon. And thank you for listening to the podcast and reading the blog, sir. Much appreciated. Next is an email from Marcy from Syracuse, New York. I'm starting to plan a big vacation for my 2016 for my 40th birthday, and I've decided I want to do a Royal Caribbean cruise. I'm so excited, but now I have a few things to decide I need your help. Here's some background. I'll be traveling with my husband and two kids who will be five and two at the time of our sailing. My mother will probably be joining us to help out with the kids and have some fun on as well. None of us have cruised before. My mother lives about an hour away from Galveston, so I'm debating on flying to Texas and sailing out of Galveston on Navigator of the Seas, or maybe flying to Florida and sailing on one of the newer ships, say the Oasis of the Seas. Which do you think would be a better fit for new cruisers, Navigator or Oasis? I do like the idea of flying to Texas just because I can stay at my mother's house pre and post cruise, but I'm afraid I'll be missing out on something if I don't cruise on one of the newer, bigger ships. I know you love Navigator of the Seas on your recent cruise, but since there were since we are first-time cruisers, would we enjoy Oasis of the Seas better? Also, are either of them better, quote-unquote, as far as the kids' clubs areas? I'm personally looking forward to spa days, relaxation, and exploring the ports on my cruise. My husband probably be more into the fine, good dining, and excursions in ports as well. Thanks so much. I know this is sort of a broad question, but I thought you could handle it. Thank you, Marcy. I really appreciate that, and I'm so glad to hear you're going to give Royal Caribbean a try. I think you'll love it. That's a great question. Navigator or Oasis? Navigator, the slightly older ship that's been recently refurbished, or Oasis of the Seas, at least right now, the flagship of Royal Caribbean. That is a great question. Actually, I was dealing with this sort of this exact problem, so to speak, with a friend of mine. Hi, Danielle. And, you know, this is a really tough question because when Navigator was just refurbished and it's so beautiful. Now, you are going, you said, in 2016. You got to keep one thing in mind. I don't think Navigator this season is going to be in Galveston in 2016. In fact, they previously announced, they being Royal Caribbean, 
that it's going to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and another ship will be coming in its place. So keep that in mind. Let's assume for right now it's not going to be Navigator of the Seas because we know that's going to replace Jewel of the Seas come 2015. And there's an article I'll post in our show notes for that. As of right now, and as you've probably just heard from the question before, we don't officially know their replacement. I'm guessing it's going to be Liberty of the Seas based on everything I just said before. So I'll refer you to that. Now, if the question were, Matt, should I choose Liberty of the Seas or should I choose Oasis of the Seas? You know, in that case, it's a little different because Liberty of the Seas' upgrades are not as significant as Navigator of the Seas. It's weird because Liberty is a newer ship. Liberty of the Seas does have, however, a Broadway show in the form of Saturday Night Fever, which Navigator of the Seas never had. But anyway, we're not going to compare Navigator of the Seas anymore because it's irrelevant. So you're really comparing Liberty of the Seas for sake of argument versus Oasis of the Seas. You know, if I had to choose my, especially for a new cruiser, I would choose Oasis of the Seas for a couple of reasons. One, you've got kids. The facilities, the kids' facilities on Freedom Class is great. The kids' facilities on Oasis Class is better. Reason, it's slightly newer and it's also going to be larger. As the ships got bigger, you know, from Voyager Class to Freedom Class to Oasis Class, so did the kids' club areas. And that's one of the major differences. It's all slightly newer, so they'll have slightly better stuff in there. Although Liberty of the Seas did get a refurbishment, uh, somewhere in the last couple of years. That being said, again, I just think overall, in terms of for new cruisers, I try to point people towards the Oasis class if I can. Freedom class is great. I love it. I just think if you had to choose between the two, and I told this to Danielle too, again, assuming money's the same, which it probably isn't going to be, but I would go for Oasis just because of that. If, however, you go to Galveston, I'm going to assume that Liberty of the Seas is going to be significantly cheaper than Oasis, and that in itself may be worth it. If I was going to save, if the price was the same, I'd go Oasis. If the price is going to save you like... Five hundred to a thousand dollars, if not more, between hotels and maybe even the cruise fare itself. I might go for Liberty of the Seas just to save that money because I'd rather spend that money on the things you just mentioned: the spa, the dining, and all that other stuff. And you'd have a great time on Liberty. It's a wonderful ship. I don't think you would really be doing a disservice to going on there. So again, it may simply come down to the money. And if you can afford Oasis, I would go Oasis. Because, look, let's face it, there's going to be a cruise ship out of Galveston for the foreseeable future. Because, again, Royal Caribbean signed a deal with Port to have a presence there for a while. So I think you'll be good on that front. So, yeah, Oasis if you can. If the money's about the same, if there's significant difference in pricing, I might just go back to Liberty. You're not doing it. You're really not going wrong either way. It's just... It's a question. I think I told Danielle also. She's getting a lot of mentions here. It's like choosing between cuts of steak. Is the filet mignon that much better than the New York strip or whatever your favorite other favorite you know cut of steak is? You know, you're you're choosing between those kind of two things. So it's a good problem to have. I and I, I laid it out there. So let us know what you choose, because I'm interested to hear what you ultimately went with. Next email is from Steve who writes, Hey Matt, I was wondering if you could help me out with something. I read on your blog and listened to your podcast. They're really good, by the way. Thank you. And learned you recently took a cruise on Navigator of the Seas. My wife and I just took our first cruise on Liberty of the Seas. We had a blast and we stayed at a hotel that provided transportation to the cruise ship for free. On our return from our cruise, we took a taxi that only cost $20 to get to the Fort Lauderdale airport. No big deal for transportation. But looking into Navigator of the Seas, the best I can find is $150 from George Bush International Airport. $300 is a lot of drop for transportation. How did you get around this or did you bite the bullet? We have to fly into George Bush as we have free Frontier Airline points, but geez, the cost to get to the ship is pretty high. Any thoughts? I went through the exact same problem. I got lucky, Steve, because I actually had a mutual friend who lived in the area and was willing to drive me. I bought him dinner and and was willing to name my second child after him. So he did me a huge favor there. But up till that point, I was going to just drop the money on it because unfortunately, Galveston, for whatever reason, they have a terrible transportation market, meaning... There's only one rental car company on the island. That's uh, National, I believe, or Enterprise. That's what it is, Enterprise. 
doesn't matter because they're closed on Sundays, which is the day that Navigators gets there. So you got two basic options. One, you can take car service, which I think you kind of outlined there, probably $150 from the airport. It'll bring you there. Option number two is you rent a car from the airport, but you keep the car even during your cruise. You maybe look at one of those weekly rates and you find a hotel that offers either free parking or parking included in your hotel fare, which is often a common thing. And then you just, when you get back, you take the car and it drives you back. You, know, you drive yourself back to the airport. That may end up, depending on the deal you get on the rental car, might actually be cheaper than the car service. And of course, the last option we should mention is Royal Caribbean does offer uh, transfers. But again, that's not going to be a great deal if you want to come in maybe a day or two before. Those are for day of both coming and going. So it's really up to you what you're most comfortable with. Honestly, there's no great options. It's the lesser of all evils is basically what you're picking from. And I just don't get why they don't have better services in terms of getting you to and from Galveston, especially the rental car market. I just don't understand why there aren't more companies there like Port Canaveral or Fort Lauderdale or basically any other cruise port I've been to the United States. There's plenty of rental car companies where you can drop the car off there and take another one back there. I don't get it, but there are plenty of hotels in Galveston that do offer either free transportation to the port or very, very cheap transportation to the port. I think at the Galveston Beach Hotel, and they had, I think it was very cheap. Actually, they ended up giving it to us for free for unrelated reasons. Their computer system went down, and the lady was like, you know what? Forget it. I don't care. <laughs> you take the free transportation, and they drove us there. But that being said, uh, usually it does cost like, I think, like $20, $25. Just nominal. It's really nothing much. So. I don't have a great suggestion. If anyone has a better suggestion, because I couldn't find it when I was planning it, I'm all ears. Please email me, Matt, at royalcaribbeanblog.com, and we'll help Steve out here. But, yeah, sorry, Steve. Uh, I guess the other thing is start making friends in the Houston area, because that's what I had to do. Next is an email from Angela Wright. I'm new to Royal Caribbean, and my very first Royal Caribbean cruise booked for October 19th on Freedom of the Seas. After we booked, I found your podcast, and my 14-year-old son and I have been hooked ever since. We spent the last couple of weeks going back and listening to all the past podcasts and have gotten so much information. Maybe too much since my 14-year-old is now begging to get him a reservation at Chops. <laughs> That's great. My question is, do you have any favorite excursions on St. Martin or St. Thomas? This is our first time doing an Eastern Caribbean itinerary. Angela, great question. I love the Eastern Caribbean itinerary. I think you do a great job. I mean, Freedom of the Seas is a beautiful ship. Such a great time. I've been on there two, three times now. I've honestly lost track. I think it's two, but maybe be three. Anyway. Favorite excursion, St. Martin. I love to tool around there. I'll put a link in my show notes to the excursions I've done on St. Martin. I love Bikini Beach. Don't worry. It's okay. Your son will be fine there. I know the name sounds kind of weird. Great beach. Uh, it's beautiful. I, I've said this before. It is the most beautiful beach I've ever been to in my life. Great service at the beach. You can get rent a little chair or two under a palapa. They have bar service. They have restaurant service. It's just great. In addition to that, you can do maybe the Maho beach excursion idea which is basically you go to this beach called maho beach it's, you know there's a bar it's not that exciting the thing that is exciting is of course all the airplanes that land literally on top of your head i'll put a link in the show notes to the <laughs> video of that it's really really cool your son will lose his mind i should mention though by the way all in st martin especially on the on the french side and it's a little less on the dutch side but still exists there is toplessness and usually this is women because men you know um so something to be aware of that it happens. I've often told people, I don't think, unless you look for it, it doesn't really happen. The bar at Maho Beach, they do have a sign that if women go topless, they can drink for free. So maybe just avoid the bar, which is probably a good idea for a 14-year-old anyway. But like, anyway, that's a fun excursion. 
on St. Thomas, the absolute best beach to go to, again, I love going to beaches, is probably going to be Megan's Bay. It's beautiful. Again, once again, I will have a link in our show notes to my review of my time at Megan's Bay. It's gorgeous there. You really cannot go wrong. It's one of the top beaches in the world, evidently. I just think it's fun. If you're looking for more non-beachy stuff, maybe your son is not into the whole beach scene, in St. Thomas has got great shopping in the downtown area. Take a short taxi ride and just walk around. Lots to do there. There's also the area on the very, very top of St. Thomas. I believe it's called like, they're not very original. Their name's like Top of the Mountain or Top of the Hill or something like that. It's, it's a tourist trap. There's a store over there. It's a lot of tchotchkes and stuff like that. But you have a great view, amazing view of the island. So for that reason alone, maybe worth, you know, getting a taxi cab or two and going down there. Or maybe even just taking a tour because I took a couple tours. I don't love bus tours anymore. I think that's just Matt being weird and I don't know. I just don't love group bus tours that much because I always find that like when I feel I'm done with something, other people aren't. So, you know, it's so you know how it goes. You go to, you move to a certain pace and it's not the pace that you're ever comfortable with. Anyway, I'm rambling here, but you get the kind of the idea. So I think between all those, you should have a pretty good idea of what to do in St. Martin and St. Thomas. Great times. And I think I'll be great. And I, I want to hear what you end up picking, Angela, because there's a lot to do on all the islands, but do yourself a favor and go and explore. They're beautiful. And again, so much to do on all of them. Well, that's all the time I have for right now. I know I have more emails, more voicemails, more tweets, more Facebook messages. We're going to get to them. I promise you that. We'll get to each and every one that we can. So stay tuned, and I appreciate you all sending them. And if you want to send yours, I'd love to hear them too, because this podcast is not just for Angela and Peter and Chad and whoever else has emailed us this week. We want to hear from you as well. So if you want to email us, you can email Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Tweet us at the RCL blog on Twitter. Facebook, we are facebook.com slash Royal Caribbean blog, or you can call the Royal Caribbean blog voicemail by calling 408-676-9256. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg. We'll talk again soon.